Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pamela Mashana's reading room and welcome to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. We are doing an episode today that is going to work well on both platforms. So as you all know that I'm not only just podcast host, I'm also a published author and speaker, and I have a fellow author on the show with me today. And so we're using this episode for the podcast because as you also know that I'm having a series of authors come on, especially uh, during the year when I released my book, then it's great to have them on my reading room as well. So Laquita Parks is such a guest. She serves both of those purposes. She is not just beautiful looking with that wonderful smile. She has a brilliant mind, an incredible story, and she's a successful author and publisher. So with that, we welcome her to both platforms, Envision Together, going to our next level of best podcast, and to Dr. Pamela Mashana's reading room. Go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself, Laquita. Well, Pamela, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Laquita Parks, and I am the CEO and founder of PayPro-V Publishing. And PayPro-V means pain, progress, victory, because I believe without pain, there's no progress. And without progress, there can be no victory. So right. I help people take their stories from a thought to a realization. Love it. So that's what you do as a publisher, but you're also an author. And I believe a lot of your story that you're going to share with us today is in your book. Just an amazing story. So instead of me continuing to say that, we're going to jump right in. You have a story to tell that really moves from trial to triumph. I really want to cover as much as your story as we possibly can, and it's a lot. So (laughs) we're going to try to get through it all. But let's start with you telling us about your life's experiences And then what led you to writing up your book that's called Walking Limitations? Thank you. Well, my life experiences. So I am the victim of medical childhood trauma at the hands of a nurse. So when I was four years old, I went into the hospital to have my tonsils removed. I kept having sore throats. The doctor told my mom her tonsils are the problem. They need to come out. Um, It'll just be a simple procedure. She'll be in the hospital, get the surgery, be out in a day or two. And that didn't happen. Tonsillectomy was a success. A nurse came into my room and jabbed me in the thigh with a needle. I was four years old. The needle, it was penicillin. It wasn't that I was allergic to it. It was that the way she jabbed me, it struck the nerve Mm -hmm. and it poisoned the bone in my leg. And immediately my leg started to die. And so when my mom, my mom was gone home to get ice cream, because I remember you're going to get ice cream, going to get ice cream. And I had two sisters, one older, one younger. So my mom went to see about them. And when she got back, they were rushing me to the OR on a gurney. And they told my mom, if they did not get me to surgery and amputate my leg, it would burst and I would die. After eight hours of surgery, they found that they could take, remove the bone to relieve the pressure. They didn't have to amputate, but they told my mother I would never walk again. And Pamela, that started a tsunami of uh, medical issues Mm -hmm. from the age of four to now that has not yet ended that I will actually go through for the rest of my life. Can I just back up just a little bit? Absolutely. First of all, I mean, to have to deal with something like that for the rest of your life, 
and it started from getting your tonsils removed. How did they know that your leg was in that condition? Like they had to rush you right away. What what were the physical signs? Well, one of the signs was when she jabbed me in my thigh, I started to scream and it would not stop was the pain. And so they came running and this is, I was four years old. So this is what was relayed to me. My leg immediately started to swell and turn black. It was like my foot was dying. So they knew as a four-year-old child, my leg had swollen to the size of an adult thigh. And they knew that if they poked it with a pin, it would have burst. So they didn't have any time to waste. They had to get me into surgery right away. The physical, me screaming in pain and the visible symptoms of the leg swelling, they know they had to act fast. While in the OR, they saw that, okay, you know what, we can relieve the pressure. We can remove the bone. So I only have one bone in my leg. So they removed that. And I've had 15 surgeries on my right leg and foot, just that alone. And I didn't walk for a long time. I had to learn how to walk all over again. From four years old to now, Mm -hmm. 15. 15 on just that one leg or foot, but it started a domino effect because the bone started to deteriorate. So they had to find bone. So they took bone from my hip and put it in my foot. Well, that caused a domino effect because when I had my babies, they could not go down into the birth canal. When the bone was taken out of my hip, it altered the shape. So it wouldn't open. So the babies, now I could dilate, but I dilated 10 centimeters and the baby could not get through the birth canal. So they determined after my third child and two trial of labors that I would never be able to have babies vaginally. That stemmed from that jab that I was given in my thigh. So it was a domino effect. I had to have some surgery where they fused my ankle. So my ankle is fused. So I have no range of motion. One foot is bigger than the other. My left foot is a size nine and a half. My right foot is a size six and a half. So when I go buy shoes, I have to buy two pair of shoes six and a half and a nine and a half pair. My toes don't move. My big toe doesn't move. It's been fused. There's an opening where there's no feeling on the right side of my leg. So I can nick it, it can bleed. And I would never know unless I looked down and saw that it's bleeding. Were you compensated? Was your family? There was no, there was no compensation. There was no admission of guilt. There was no, I'm sorry. There was no, none of that. The nurse walked out. Now I want to say this. I don't believe that a nurse who was trained to take care of children, a pediatric nurse purposely came in and jabbed me in my thigh and caused this. I don't believe she purposely did that. But what she did after is what mattered. According to the hospital and at Grady Hospital, it was a cover up. She left the hospital with my records. So there are no records. I've never been able to, in my adult life, I've never been able to get records from the hospital, from Grady Hospital. So she walked out of the hospital without my records. But somebody knows that this four-year-old child went into the hospital to have her tonsils removed and came out months later, because I was in the hospital for months, came out months later and could not walk. Because I'm not a doctor. Dr. Pamela, I'm not a doctor, (laughs) but I do know that the throat bone is not connected to the leg bone. I do know that, you know, that started a medical tsunami. I've encountered doctors throughout my journey who were either an intern at the hospital at that time or who had some type of connection, whether they were a visiting doctor, who have said, I was a doctor there. I remember your case. We were threatened. We were told that if we mentioned what happened, they would make sure we wouldn't practice medicine again. Or I was a visiting doctor. There was a hush over the hospital. You were that hush. People are going to want to do this. Even though you have that, it's still like, dealt with in a legal sense as this is what you allege. One doctor specifically said, if you repeat this, I will deny it. And she was my doctor. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis as a result at the age of 11. And this person was my doctor from 11 as a result. It's a domino effect. You know, I have lupus, I have RA, and I was recently diagnosed when I I had to go to the Mayo Clinic. I've spent some time at the Mayo Clinic. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And so it's connective tissue. And so the the ha-ha for me, ha-ha, like how strange, not funny at all, is 
RA affects your joints. Lupus affects your organs and fibromyalgia affects your muscles. So I deal with pain every single day of my life for the last 49 years. I'm 53. So for the last 49 years, I don't know a day without pain. We had an opportunity to meet and have a conversation and it broke my heart and it stayed with me long after we got off the phone. I remembered you saying that most nights, most nights, most nights, cry yourself to sleep. I do. Oh my goodness. You know, Pamela, one, one thing I I, want to say, we talk about trauma and, you know, people go through trauma and there are people who have been sexually assaulted. They've endured these things and they get a reprieve from it because there, there are things that take over their lives where they are able to make a difference and they are, there it's not something that they focus on. And sometimes they don't even remember until there's something that triggers it. There's that trigger memory. It's not like that for me. It isn't where I can put it out of my mind because I walk around with the badge of what has happened to me every single day of my life. So I don't get a reprieve from it. So that cold leg at night is a reminder. The aches is a reminder. The pain is a reminder every single day that I am dealing with something that I did not create. Medically, physically, financially, emotionally, I didn't create it. I don't get a reprieve from my trauma. My mind keeps going back. Could have kept your tonsils in. Who would imagine that such things would happen from something that was supposed to be a relatively easy procedure and you spend the rest of your life dealing with the repercussions of that? So you've had years of surgery. You've been in a hospital. The hospital hasn't helped. Have you tried to get legal? Have you tried to take it to court? Uh, I have. Um, there were some years ago I tried and I was told that there was a statute of limitations. Since then, some laws have changed. I was told that I was a charity patient. And what that means for people who don't know what that means is that if you receive, you were a Medicaid recipient, you're considered charity. Somebody's giving you charity. Well, that law was written in 1940, I believe. And it was for us because we were the recipients of the poor medical care. So they put that law in place so that we couldn't sue. Most people of color were Medicaid recipients or welfare recipients at that time. I was considered a charity patient. And so what what does that mean? Because you're considered a charity patient, you can receive any type of treatment and you can do whatever you want to do to somebody and there are no repercussions. You know what's so interesting and it just hit me. Last night, my aunt told me about a movie that Oprah Winfrey starred in. Henrietta um, Lack story. Yeah. I know the family. Wow, you know the family. That's amazing. And how there were stipulations with that, too. If you went in the hospital for a medical procedure, they could take your tissue without your permission so much as they didn't mention your name. And you know what was so funny with that still? That they knew they were wrong because they didn't even use her name. Yeah. There was a conversation with with one of the family members and somebody else. And it's like, hey, we have this lady. And it's like, what? And they changed the name. They altered the name a little. It's like, that's my mother. Helen Lane or something. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I know her, her oldest grandson. I worked on his team for a minute. I have a lot of insight to that story. Oh, wow. So he's written his own books. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> wow. I tell you, it's just amazing, though. I mean, I guess even today, that's true. They can take our tissue if we have a medical procedure, as long as they don't use our name. And you know what broke my heart is, and it breaks my heart with your story, too. They made all this money and that family was poor. I'm almost still living in poverty. Yeah. And then in your situation, you're having all these extra expenses Mm -hmm. tagged on to your life because of mistakes somebody else made. Exactly. That had nothing to do with you. That kind of stuff just breaks your heart. Yes. It's it's not great. 
And that's why I said, I'm so sorry. I mean, and you know what? I almost don't even want to hear myself say sorry, because I got to tell you, it's even some things I've faced in life before where I get what people mean. I know they mean well when they say sorry, but sorry is the last thing I want to hear. That is the last thing I'm going to hear. Sometimes that's all you say. You don't know what to say. Say sorry. You know, my sister said, you say sorry too much. You just apologize too much. Quit saying sorry. (laughs) I learned not too long ago. I heard someone, I can't even remember exactly how it went, but it made me have an epiphany about how often I say sorry. I mean, Mm -hmm. even when I just feel like I did something wrong, not telling you sorry over the situation you had to face, but there's other ways to, we say sorry for everything. That was the point of it. And she Mm -hmm. was Mm-hmm. And I got yeah. it, so I changed it right. a bit. <laughs> yes, but yes. we digress a bit. Get back to your story. So I know also that at a certain point, you know, you got older. You're overcoming some of these challenges. You had to learn to walk again and stuff. You eventually got married. How did all that happen? What, what were the girls? I was pregnant. <laughs> I got married because I was pregnant and thought that was the right thing to do. I was born into a family where there were 10 people in the house. My mom was the oldest. We lived with my grandmother. My mom was a teenage mother, 17. When she, she had when she had me, she already had a child. We were 15 months apart. So she was a teenage mother. So by the time my mom was 19, she had three children. And so going through everything that I was going through, I didn't hear the words, I love you, but they had to love me because they made sure I never missed a doctor's appointment and all that. But I did not like who I was. I was the crippled child. I was picked out to be picked on. So when when somebody said, you know, hey, and they made me you know, feel warm and fuzzy, then I migrated to that. Mm-hmm. So I met my husband just now, being a- Let me just say, that's what I was really getting at. Because I know something, while I didn't have a physical disability, I had kind of emotional disabilities through having been sexually violated. And, you know, the number that does on your self-esteem, some of those are are similar to um, maybe a physical disability. With both situations, you experience low self-esteem and maybe you don't value yourself as much. So when I said, how did that happen? I don't even know if I phrased it quite that way. That's what I was alluding to and getting at. How do you find a good match when you're operating from such a deficit? And so you didn't really. You know, right. I didn't know what that looked like. I, you know, I wasn't raised with a father or, you know, the, my uncles were there, but my uncles were doing their own thing. So I didn't know what that was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. All I know is that here was somebody that said they cared about me. Mm-hmm. E- even with all the crazy, you know, he, he never made me feel like my leg was an issue. It was not something that we even talked about. He went to doctor's appointments with me. He never said, oh, uh, you know, your leg is fine. He never said that. It was just like, it was just not there. It was just, it wasn't addressed at all. I had to go to the doctor. I I didn't deal with it one way or the other. Okay. um, Because I didn't understand what that meant to be seen, to have somebody to see my leg, see that until I got older and I met uh, an amazing person who, who was like, that's the best part of you, Mm -hmm. you know, who just kind of build it up to where that's, that's not a flaw. That's just, that's the best part of you. That's what makes all of this beauty. That's what makes you, you. So I didn't understand that until I got old, until I got grown, grown. Okay. You know, I met him and, you know, I got pregnant and, you know, getting married was the right thing to do. Pregnant, I need to get married. So I did that. I followed that path of what I thought it should look like. And we got married and, you know, tried to make a family. He had issues of his own, his, you know, father issues, And I had my issues and we tried to make a family and I had three children, beautiful children, but he didn't have the great foundation. I didn't have the great foundation and we were trying to figure it out. But I knew that I had priority and my priority was my children and they deserved more than what I had. My mom was an alcoholic, but they deserved more than that. So I was like, okay, you know what? This is what I'm going to give them. Was she an alcoholic the whole time? 
She was. I noticed more when I got older. Now, I knew something was going on because we were evicted from every place we ever lived. And, and that's funny. I never missed a doctor's appointment, but I've come home on multiple occasions where they were sitting our things out on the street. That's uh, I've, what I was going to say. Was she like a functional alcoholic? Because I remember you saying that you never missed an appointment. So never. They had a list on the refrigerator on who, whose time was it to take Laquita to the doctor. And everybody, all my aunts, my uncles, everybody took Laquita to the doctor. She, they had a chance. But my mom, as, as as she got older, the drinking seemed to get worse. But my mama never drove a car, um, which was beautiful. She would go to work and come home and she would be drunk. And it's like, now how'd she get drunk when she, you know, <laughs> she went to work? I understand that. I had to learn how to separate that. Because for a long time, I could not. And so I couldn't go visit her because I didn't want to see that. I, I couldn't. So I had to learn how to not throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, and, and learn how to love her in the midst of that. She wasn't a raging, falling down, drunk. She wasn't like that. But she would get there where it affected her health. It affected her life. Wow. And, and you know, she had drinking buddies and I couldn't stand them. Wow. I could not stand those drinking buddies. Like, why y'all here? You know, me get out of here. Why are you here? <laughs> so I would come in and and you know, my with my mean face and, and not speaking and all those things. So is this um, while you were young or when I was young, I was too shy to say anything like that. I went with what I went with. It was enough to get to school and get home without getting picked on. My mom was there through all that. Even with all of her issues, she didn't run. Mm-hmm. You know, she she stayed there and she wasn't falling down, raging drunk every day. As she got older and I was grown and my children, I was, you know, married and gone. As she got older, I noticed it more. I would call and her speech would be slurred. And so she didn't drive. So somebody would bring it to her. And, you know, when she went to work or whatever, um, she had friends and she was a good person. But I also learned to understand she did the best she could. She had three children by the time she was 19. She dropped out of high school. She went back and got her GED. So she didn't have an easy shake. Isn't that something when you get to the point where as a child, you grow up and you're able to see your parents' humanness? We start off seeing them as superheroes. Then we get disappointed because we see They're just regular people. And we can even get not just disappointed, but angry because they're not the heroes we thought. But then if we keep living a little longer, we see, wow, they were doing the best they could. Mm -hmm. They had a life. They had issues. Many of them had their own trauma and uh, demons that they wrestled with. And as you get older and start recognizing your own stuff that you wrestle with, It's amazing how you come up with a little more empathy and you can look at your parents through different lens. I had many of those same epiphanies with my mom and actually different people in my family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like none of us are perfect. But what does that mean when you're young? Because they're supposed to be. I appreciate you sharing that and letting us have some insight. Uh, into what that was like for you. I appreciate that you saw, okay, she wrestled with being an alcoholic, but she loved you and she made sure you got to your appointments. That's something. And with all of the surgeries and having homebound teachers, I graduated on time. That's wonderful. I was not held back at all, ever. So there's so much still I want to talk to you about. So my next question is, tell me about your spirituality and what role that plays in the midst of all of this? So I'm Christian. Uh, I was baptized into Christ in 2008. And I learned since that time, woo, talk about peace. So I know that, you know, I go through a lot on a daily basis, but I know that it's all temporary. I have an amazing support circle that keeps me accountable. And I love that. I don't run from that. Sometimes it caused looking in the mirror and saying, okay, girl, and hearing the hard stuff and having to have the hard conversations. I remember going through because the pain gets to be great. And sometimes I get to a nobody loves me, nobody cares kind of 
thing. God sends you what you need when you need it, because sometimes I can be going through something and I'll get I'll get a call from a friend and say, what's going on? It's like, oh, I'm feeling so, oh, well, what else is new? You've been going through that for 49 years now. What's, <laughs> tell me something I don't know. And then you start chuckling and then you start to take things into perspective. I'm still growing. I love learning. I teach Bible study. I love the discussions and I love working with young people and the way that they talk. Uh, and I and I tell people, and I think I mentioned this when we were talking, we must be my, my little group that we study with and we read, well, we must be the silliest people ever reading the Bible because we're reading <laughs> you know it with what? the teenagers. Like, let's make it relevant. Let's make it okay. so you understand it. You know, how do you understand it? It's a beautiful thing. It is. And, you know, I think too, because I was just, listening to you and your ability to take that feedback when your close circle is being tough with you. I'm sure there's lots of examples out there where people try to be that to uh, others and they're not met with a response of chuckling and reflecting and bouncing back and putting it all in perspective. I would imagine that your spirituality helps you be able to receive and hear what they're saying, even when it's tough. It takes an unusual strength and fortitude. And I know in my own life, when I'm going through something difficult and someone's telling me something difficult on top of it, (laughs) I just kind of like, okay, God, I'm weak, but you're strong. You said you'd give me strength. I can give you my weakness and you give me strength. Mm-hmm. And I just have to kind of shake myself and say, okay, let me try to open up and hear, hear what's being said to me. And I don't do that all the time, to be quite honest. There's times when I'm like, it's nothing you can say. I just got to have my moment. <laughs> I know what you're saying is true, but I don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> yes, yes. I like the pity party. Listen, my friend told me a long time ago, one of the pastors at the church I used to attend, he was like, listen, it's okay for you to have a pity party. Just don't stay at the party too long. Yeah. And now I know they love me at the party, honey. I'm the <laughs> life of that party. So they want me to come often and they don't want me to leave too fast. But I fight it on every end. I'm going to have a party. But I try and keep it in perspective. And sometimes you got to have that inner bounce back. And that's why you have to have that circle. So, you know, I love that part where sometimes you can't pray. You don't know what to pray for. That's why you have to have people in your circle who can pray for you when you don't know how to pray, when you can't pray for yourself. And that's what it means to bear one another's burdens. In order to bear the burden, they have to know who you are. They have to know what burden to bear. Wow. It's really something. So I was going to ask you, what are some of the practical things that you do? But the practical things that work in your life is that inner circle. Mm -hmm. Yep. I talk to people. I talk a lot. (laughs) We we (laughs) have that. We can talk, but I get a chance to share. I have people that I can bounce hard off of. I had a friend today to send me something about um, Joseph and forgiving his brothers for what Mm. they did to him and naming his son, his first son, Manasseh, which means I forgive. And so he said, you know, there is forgiveness and you can get, you know, so it's, it's like saying, you know, I can get over this. I'm going to move past this and I'm done. So my question back to him was, how do you do that when you're constantly being reminded every single day of your pain and trauma? How do you do that? And so he doesn't come back with a, well, no, he comes back and, and it, he comes back hard. Well, uh, this is what you do, or this is what, and what does the Bible say? And, and here are these examples. And I know that you're going through this. And there are few people who go through, who've gone through as much as you've gone through. He said, you have to remember your tenacity. And I said, my tenacity. He said, oh yeah, girl, you got the tenacity of a pit bull on steroids. I said, that's my stubbornness. He said, and then that's what sees you through because mm-hmm. your stubbornness tells you you can't give up. And it, it tells me I can't quit. I'll figure out a different way. And, I, and I, I'm always like, you know what? I, I, that's always my thing when somebody's saying something, when they're being difficult, when, you know, it's, it's fine. I'll figure it out. You know, what are you doing, Queen? Just trying to figure some things out. Just trying to okay. figure out a lot. We must be wired similarly. Somewhere down the line, we must be related. <laughs> have to be, have to be. I see we got them almost in the same cheekbones. <laughs> I have some of those same characteristics, that wiring that is just determined. 
Mm-hmm. You have those moments, you you know, you feel the blows of life, but you bounce back and you come out swinging. So I know that you mentioned in a um, previous conversation, a particular song that really helps you come to terms with all the physical challenges that you faced in life. Please tell us about that song and and maybe even um, recite a few of the lyrics. Yes, it has become a favorite and it's called Why Not Me. I received an award in Baltimore Community Excellence Award last year in September. Thank you. And I also received the Woman of the Year Award for making headline news for 2022. So wow. that was such an honor. But there was a young lady that was doing a, a spiritual dance to this song I'd never heard before. And it says, why not me? And I'm, I'm listening to the song and I'm I'm like, you know, you you kind of hear it and it's like, okay, this is nice. And then you become emotional because of the dance, of the movement. I like music, but I listen to the, the, the lyrics. And as she was dancing... The chorus came on again and I said, what did it say? And it said, why not me? It starts when I look in the mirror, I see a girl beautifully broken, perfectly flawed. I don't even know how I made it this far. And every day I ask myself, why not me? How did I get here? Where did I come from? You can get through this. You just have to believe. And I'm like, this is me. Somebody took my life and put it in a song. Why not me? I'm the perfect person to go through this storm. It won't break me. It won't kill me. I'll move on and I'll come out even stronger than before because my faith is getting stronger every day. I'm removing everything that's in my way. And I ask myself, why not me? I break that down. I did a summit last year and that was my speech. And I sung a little bit of that song during that speech because I'm like, why not me? Because you have a storm, Pamela. I have a storm, but your storm is not my storm. And I can't handle your storm. You and can't the first my question storm. we ask is why me? Why me? Why do why I me? have to go through this? Why yeah. me and my family? Yeah. yeah. And why not me? Why not? And so because God has given it to me because um, Paul said my grace is sufficient. So whatever I'm going through, it's my grace and it's sufficient. So why not me? And it's given to me because I'm the perfect person for the storm. I don't know how many people who could handle 49 years in pain. If that storm was assigned to them, they could. And I say assigned to them because I didn't choose this. Mm-hmm. If it was my choice, do you think I would have chose this? I didn't choose it. So it was assigned to me by accident, by mistake. However, God can do whatever God wants to do. And things happen in our lives because of other people's mistakes, because of other people's sin. Everything that we do is not a result of what we've done to ourselves. God permitted it. He also gave you the wherewithal to walk it out. Because I'm telling you, you are amazing. When we had our introductory conversation, I remember, for one, I stayed on the phone with you way longer than <laughs> a I great conversation on the phone with anybody. <laughs> it was a great conversation. <laughs> it was, as is this one. But I mean, I, it reached a certain point in that conversation where you were helping me. <laughs> I'm just trying to have a conversation to see if we're a good fit to do a show together. And I was like, wow, you were you were helping me just just listening to you. And, you know, that brings me to another question that I have for you. Or maybe it's a kind of comment question. (laughs) You help so many people. Mm -hmm. You help so many people and you have such joy in giving back and helping people like you mentioned earlier, uh, mentoring and and teaching How do you manage to do that when physically, at every moment, you're in pain? You know what? It's a choice. I make a choice. I'm sitting here as I'm talking to you now. I'm fighting back the tears, but it's a choice. And sometimes the tears are going to fall. Sometimes I fight them back. Sometimes I have people say, just let them flow. Just let them flow. So I don't honestly get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a difference in somebody's day. I'm going to do I don't. 
I get up in the morning and I'm I'm running through my head. Okay, I got a meeting at six. I got a this, this, this. I I do that, but I'm just being Laquita. Mm-hmm. I'm just being Laquita, and Laquita is a good person. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have people saying, "I'm a good person. I'm a good person." You have to have somebody to measure that by. How do I know that I'm a good person? I know that through my children. Mm-hmm. I know that through my family. I know that through my friends. I know that through God's word because he made us in his image and I walk up right and I treat people right. And I, and I do, I make every effort to do that. So I make a choice to get up and do it, to get up in the morning. Girl, I do more before noon sometimes than most people do all day. <laughs> we and, were laughing about that the other day too. Yes. I'm, I'm like, look, I went to bed at 4.30 this morning and was back up at seven yeah. and I've been going at it ever since. And here it is four o'clock and I still, my day is still not even half over. Yeah. Uh, but it, But to answer your question, I make a choice. I make a choice to deal with people so I can get a reprieve from my pain. While I'm working with somebody and helping them, you know, with their stories or interviewing somebody from a podcast, I had a a wonderful interview with this lady this day, um, 23 years old, talking about relationships and how she's been hurt in relationships. I say, you just a baby. What what relationships have been hurt you? Let's talk about it. You know, she's written a whole book. (laughs) <laughs> on grieving relationships. I said, listen, you need to teach a master class. You're 23. You're, you're old enough to be my baby. My baby baby is 28. So making a choice and talking to people and knowing knowing that I'm making a difference in the lives of people is important to me. Pamela, I am not one of those people who say, I don't care what people think about me. That's not me. I'm never keeping up with the Joneses. You know, girl, I don't even wear makeup. This is it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, some lip gloss or some with some color on it. Um, you see my well, hair all national, natural. I, I don't do nails. <laughs> it's just me. And so making a difference, having people see the light in me is what's important. So it isn't fake. It isn't I'm trying to be something I'm not. I want my light to shine that people know that I'm coming around the corner. They just see that glow. You know, you know how you see that little sunbeam and you say, okay, look like the sun's coming out. Well, Mm -hmm. I want people to say that look like Laquita coming. It's reciprocal because when you give, when you help, it comes back. Yes. Thank God we are all called to different things. We're all made up with different capacities because I don't know if I can walk out what you have had to walk out in your life, but at the same time, I wasn't called to it. That's a good way to point out too, that you don't want to be sitting up saying, oh, be envious of a person in terms of what they have and be like, oh, I want to be that person instead of me, or I want what they have. You don't know what they had to go through. Like you sitting there with your awards and accolades for 2022 and more to come this year, I'm sure. You have your successful publishing business, but you also have all these scars. And who knows if that's part of what it took or create the right dynamics or makeup in you that would give you that passion to want to help so many people. I mean, I mean, we don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. But no, no, we got to roll with it, lean with it, rock with it. <laughs> Same thing in my life a certain set of circumstances that have given shape to me and and set me on my journey to try to help people in the ways that I do through my podcasts and through my novels and, and different things like that. Your story is amazing. Your life is commendable. Your heart is commendable. And I think you're such a great role model for for children and adults. I just wanted to uh, make sure we touched on some of that. I know you have such a giving, helpful heart, but I'm also delighted to know, because you shared with me the other day, how you have such a tribe around you that will help you when you're in need. Yes, I have an amazing, amazing support circle. I can make a phone call and, 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 you know, if I am at a pity party because of lack, it's because I want to be. It's not because I have to be. 
I have a neighbor who comes over and bears gifts every week. And she has bared so many gifts to me in the last couple of weeks that I'm turning it out left and right. Hey, I got some stuff. You want some stuff? I have a friend coming over later on. It's like, hey, girl, I got some stuff for you. Come on, go through my freezer because it's just me here. But I get a chance to spend time with my grandchildren, even though we get to know each other sometimes through FaceTime during the week and we get to see each other on the weekend. You can see when the when you're doing the FaceTime, when the phone's ringing before you answer, you can see see them in the camera looking for Nana. And (laughs) and so I'm Nana and I love the smile when they see my face, they light up. And my cheerleaders, my son, I have a son and two daughters. My son is the middle kid. Mm -hmm. And my son is one of my biggest cheerleaders. He's like, mama, if you never publish another book, you Mm -hmm. have done amazing. Having that circle and then having those friends, you know, not the friends that say, yeah, yeah, that agree with you on everything. You don't need those type of friends, Mm -hmm. but you also have to be able to listen to them. I have my friends tell me you're doing too much. (laughs) Have you gone to sleep? I listen. I know you got clients. You don't have to cut down. You don't have to shut down. Stop answering your phone at this time of night. Stop doing this. You're going to have to get some rest. And all I can say is, okay. And they come and say, you stubborn. You're not listening. (laughs) I'm really, really blessed that I have that. Some people don't have that. And then I have a whole women's group that I do. Uh, We just started back in January from the pandemic. It's called Exhale. I founded the group back in 1999. Wow. And so I am so excited. Somebody said to me, Laquita, with you, it's always about the story, isn't it? It is. That's my passion of the last few years. It's all about the story. You think in stories. You know, it's really amazing because we're talking about your success of today. You have your own business right now, but the challenges that you faced in life, it didn't stop you from going to school. It didn't stop you from working in corporate America. And I wanted to point that out because there's so many people with lesser challenges that just get stuck at that pity party. And we want to not say it in a way to make people feel bad or put them down, but just to say, if Laquita can do it, (laughs) you can do it. I say that about other people, you know, it's like, okay, if so-and-so can do it, you can do it. But I say that too. If I can do it, you can do it. Cause even in corporate America, uh, I was the accounting coordinator, honey. When I started, I didn't know nothing about no accounting, <laughs> but, but when I tell you, I mastered it to the point when they did transitions, the controller said, listen, you don't have to worry about anything. We can send you wherever you want to go. It's like, I don't like accounting. I don't, but you learn how to do things well you learn it. So I did that. I was the education coordinator. I won the community service award for the Kroger company while I was there for the whole division. And it was because of the community service that I did with my own organization while I worked with Kroger and utilizing their resources. And and that's the thing. You, you have to cultivate a circle. If you want support, you have to bring people in. When I went back to school after 20 years, I was working at Kroger. I brought them in. My finance classes, I had the controller and the assistant controller to walk me through. The When I had to do my speaking class and I had to critique a speaker, I had the president <laughs> of Kroger. I critiqued his speech. When I had to do uh, my marketing project, I went to my supervisor who was the advertising manager. When I had to talk about loyalty and retaining customer retention and how to get customers, I went to the loyalty department at my job. When I needed all these other things, I went to the director of, of public affairs and I brought them in. So, of course, I graduated uh, on the dean's list for four whole years. Of course, I graduated with a 3.7 at GPA. Of course, I had people to help me become successful because failure is not an option. It is not an option for me. That's wonderful. And that's beautiful. And I hope that people are listening and they will lean from that and stop making excuses. I'm a no excuses kind of person. There are reasons, (laughs) but not excuses. You're not going to hear me making excuses. Right. So. All of that is awesome. And again, that's a part of your story. I wanted to make sure everybody knew too. Can you just mention again, how many actually actual diseases or ailments or disabilities you're facing 
Yes. The ones that people know, I have rheumatoid arthritis since 11. Uh, I have lupus. I have fibromyalgia. I have stage two heart failure. I also have lymphedema and I have the lipa component, which means when my legs swell, uh, it causes pain. Uh, I have 70% nerve damage on my right side, from my right leg all the way up to my back. I have bursitis. I have a tendinopathy, which is disease of the tendon, because I favored my right leg for so long that my left leg is completely damaged. Mm. All of those are connective tissue diseases, and all of those stem from a result of being jabbed in the thigh. And as a child, you know, I couldn't run and play. And so I was heavy with my legs. Like you got to lose weight, got to lose weight. So, you know, suggested a weight loss surgery. So I did, I had a weight loss surgery. I had the lap band surgery and it was great. It was a success. I lost about a hundred pounds, but I immediately started having some digestive issues that I didn't really contribute to that. And after having the band for about eight years, um, I went on a cruise with my my sister, my step my stepmom and dad. And when we came back eight days, I was having these sickness, like like morning sickness. And for 83 consecutive days, and they ended up having to do emergency surgery because they determined the band had slipped and it slipped and it was choking off my esophagus. So they had to do an emergency removal of the band. And now I have permanent damage to my esophagus. So the voice you hear is not my voice. The voice you hear is a hoarse voice because there's damage to my esophagus. So I have something called uh, esophageal dysmotility. So my food doesn't know whether it wants to come up or go down. So I have the tendency to choke on my food. When my body gets stressed, it puts me in a flare. Uh, I'm liable to have these all of these different issues. And listen, when one thing happens, I can cut my finger, Pamela. And I did that. I cut my finger and my body was like, oh, yeah, something's going on, y'all. Come on, come on. It sent me into a flare that lasted for about five days. from a cut cut on my finger. So stress is not my friend. So I try to maintain it. But you know what? I wanted you to recap all of that again, to just help everybody put it in perspective. Whatever you're facing in life, you can get through it. It's about mindset. And like Laquita has said so many times during this interview, it is about choices. Yes. And you have to be determined. You can use your faith. You need a support circle. If you look for help, help is there. That's what I've learned in life too. I used to think, oh, nobody's here to help me or whatever. But if you just start moving little by little, the pieces come together. You may not find somebody to help you right away, but eventually help will come. Mm-hmm. Help yourself until more help comes. So like we were saying earlier, though, live without excuses, find your passion and go for it. And Laquita is such an example of that. Now, I want to go back a little bit to something we were talking about. You mentioned to me before that you cry yourself to sleep almost every night. And Mm -hmm. at one point, I guess it was a little more challenging for you or you cried a little more because you had hopes around a relationship with a gentleman that didn't quite work out. Will you tell us a little bit about that and, and how you overcame that? It's one thing to go through everything that you go through when you're with somebody. They can crown their shoulder. They can hold your hand through it and they can just hold you when you want to be held. And it's not about the sex. It's about the intimacy and knowing that somebody is helping you through this process. And so, you know, in the midst of it, you meet people and you think, okay, this is the one. Mm-hmm. It's only natural. It feels right. It feels like, you know what, this person understands. And that part can be difficult for me sometimes because I get into well, who's going to want to be bothered with me? Who's going to want to help me? How? Who's going to take care of me? And so in doing that, I had a friend and I was like, okay, you know what, this it just seemed right. It just seemed natural because they knew what was going on with me. They were there for me. And I felt like this would be the one. And it did not work out that way. Mm-hmm. And it hurt my feelings. I'm a processor. I have to process stuff. Sometimes we we get angry and we blame other people. And God is oftentimes telling us to look at the big picture. 
So sometimes that no means that's just not for you. Yeah. That no means it's okay. And sometimes we push to get that. We push that no so we can get the yes. And when we get the yes, God says, see, I'll let you have this yes, but that ain't what you needed. Right. <laughs> and so, so it took me a minute to process it. I don't necessarily like being by myself, but I have adjusted to it because it's what I have. You, we have to learn to be content yeah. in the situation. And being content doesn't mean that you're settling. It just means that you're content with what you have right now and not being ungrateful for what you don't have or being ungrateful for what you have, looking for what you don't have. So with that, I was very dependent. You get dependent on people and it's like, okay, something has to change here. Something has to change. Either one or two things will happen. I need to get better so that I can see that this is something that I need to do for me. Or the more we depend on people, the more we have to depend on them. We make excuses for why it's not working. Right. So it's a hard lesson that I had to learn. I felt rejected mm-hmm. a little bit until I processed it and talked to that that circle. My circle is true. Like my daughter's like, no, nah, mama, <laughs> no, no, that ain't what you want. They can see that he wasn't for you. And I'm like, what? But what? You like, know, they say love is blind. <laughs> Thank God there's yeah. people around us that have their sight. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a journey. I have had relationships that were, you know, that were really, really good. And uh, and I've had relationships where I was like, what were you thinking? Point where you're where I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm the cripple girl. And I say that because I because I did an interview and I, and one of my good friends heard me say I'm the cripple girl and she was like don't say that I'm not saying I am the cripple girl I'm saying I was the cripple girl but you know you do the air quotes I'm the cripple girl because that's how I was treated and that's how I allow people to treat me I don't allow people to treat me like I'm the cripple girl yes that's what I'm they, you know about. you know don't let the smooth taste fool you now you okay oh I love it <laughs> you know what. All of us have, but I'm the cripple girl thing. Mm-hmm. In one way or another, we mm-hmm. sell ourselves cheap. I don't care if you talk to the most seemingly confident person in the world. There is an area yes, where you need to work on because in essence, you see yourself as the less than, mm-hmm. the, as you would say, the cripple girl. Mm-hmm. I feel that mm-hmm. I've had the quote unquote cripple girl operating in me where I would have made choices based on my deficit. Thank God those things didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Even when mm-hmm. I was determined and trying to let it work out, <laughs> wanting <laughs> to work out. We going to force this. This is going to work. <laughs> in my ignorance, God saved me from, from nonsense. And now in my healthier state, I look back and I say, oh my God, that was a train wreck waiting to happen. Yes. I'd be miserable today if I had gotten what I thought I wanted at that time. And I think we all, if we're honest, have those stories to share. But I want to ask you, what do you know that can be a bridge to help someone get to their next level of best when it comes to moving from the struggle or trials of having a disability, whether it be a physical disability or a deep pain or grieving on the inside to living a life of triumph, such as you do today. And um, I want to point out that the trials didn't actually leave. You still have a lot you're wrestling with, but you yeah. still arrived at triumph in the midst of these trials. What could you say that could help people get to their next level best? The one thing that I'll say, Pamela, is apply the pain, progress, victory formula. Recognize the pain. You got to recognize it. Some cases you have to accept it because you can deal with things easier when you accept it. Accept that there's pain. Now, that doesn't mean that you succumb to the pain. Accept that there is pain. Accept that your life it is what it is and accept that though that pain will cause some limitations. 
once you accept that, then you can progress to mindset, change the way you think about it. So I think I have pain every single day, but I don't focus on that pain. We become that which we focus on. So the progress for me and the progress that that I would uh, encourage somebody else is to know that there is pain, but don't focus on it. Realign it. Put it somewhere else. So it doesn't mean that the pain is going to disappear because as long as you're doing something constructive, then you won't focus on the pain. The more you focus on the pain, the more intense the pain becomes. Mm -hmm. You can direct your thinking somewhere else and the pain will be there, but it'll be at a level that you can cope with it. And then you have the victory. You have progressed to here's the victory and I am victorious because I went from pain to progress and now I'm at the victory. So I'm able to do some things that I want to do. I've set a goal. I set my mind to it. You know, I believe that God has already equipped us with everything that we need to do while we need wherever we are. Wherever we are physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, God has already equipped us. So it's in you. Mm -hmm. And so here's another thing I would say. Feel those conversation noises in your head because those conversation noises is that chatter with all of those naysayers. You know, when you start hearing people, if I was you, uh -uh, don't talk to the if I were you people, because if I were you, people will have you doing nothing because they don't want to do nothing. Mm -hmm. If I were you, I would not. If I was you, I don't listen to that. Look at what you can do and do it. What do you want to do? That's good stuff. So there's a final question that I ask all of my guests. And I don't know, maybe you've touched on it a little bit already, what your response would be, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, in case there's something you haven't said. What one final gem would you leave with my guests around this topic? If they forget everything you share today, just please people, but don't forget this. Your story has power. Your story has power. Your story has power. I love it. It has and it power. goes so well with what you do as an author, as a speaker, as a publisher. Your story has power. Wow. So while we read other people's stories and we take it in, don't forget to take in your own story. Absolutely. And wow, I love that because all kinds of images, it speaks to me in so many ways because I'm thinking of a character arc. I'm thinking of rising and falling action. I'm thinking of conflict and all this stuff, all the tricks of the trade or tools <laughs> in a writer's kit. Wow. When you look at your own life in that way, what does that mean? That's packed with so much. Yeah. I love it. So how can our guests stay in touch with you, get your book, get you to be their publisher, anything you want to share about how they can stay engaged with you? They can stay engaged with me. I'm on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn under Laquita Parks or Paper V Publishing. You can find me under both. You can also connect with me through paperlvpublishing.com. If you're interested in um, getting your story published, I can help you take your story from a thought to a realization. Um, you can also purchase books. I, I'm an author. I've written and published eight of my own books, including Walking Limitation by Other People's Definition, where I talk about the limitations that I had no control over. And then I go into talking about the limitations that I put on myself. Mm. Sometimes we put limits on ourselves, but yeah. we have to recognize that I did this to me. And just because you did it to you does not mean you have to stay in it. You don't have to stay in it, but you can climb out of it. So payprovpublishing.com, P-A-P-R-O-V-I, publishing.com. You can connect with me through there. Um, I also have a podcast show called My Heart on Pages, as well as a radio show called The Power of Your Story. You can reach out to me if you, you're interested in being interviewed on either one of those platforms. And I love having the conversations. That's wonderful. Thanks so much. It's truly been an honor to have you on our show. And I'm telling you, if you inspire anybody else, you inspired me. So yes. thank <laughs> if you, you live much. your life the way I do, it's like if I can just reach one, you already got your one with me, but I know that 
this talk and the, your story is going to reach into the lives of many of the audience members and and touch them and help them. So again, I'm honored. Thanks so much for coming on my show, Envision Together, going to our next level best. You've been a wonderful guest and thanks. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together, going to our next level of best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.